Chapter Three of My Brilliant Career. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett. My Brilliant Career by Miles Franklin. Chapter Three A Lifeless Life. Possum Gully was stagnant, stagnant with the narrow stagnation prevalent in all old country places. Its residents were principally married folk and children under sixteen. The boys, as they attained manhood, drifted out back to shear, drove, or to take up land. They found it too slow at home, and besides, there was not room enough for them there when they passed childhood. Nothing ever happened there. Time was no object, and the days slid quietly into the river of years, distinguished one from another by name alone. An occasional birth or death was a big event, and the biggest event of all was the advent of a new resident. When such a thing occurred, it was customary for all the male heads of families to pay a visit of inspection, to judge if the newcomers were worthy of admittance into the bosom of the society of the neighborhood. Should their report prove favorable, then their wives finished the ceremony of inauguration by paying a friendly visit. After his arrival at Possum Gully, father was much away on business, and so on my mother fell the ordeal of receiving the callers, male and female. The men were honest, good-natured, respectable, common bushman farmers. Too friendly to pay a short call, they came and sat for hours yarning about nothing in particular. This bored my gentle mother excessively. She attempted to entertain them with conversations of current literature and subjects of the day, but her efforts fell flat. She might as well have spoken in French. They conversed for hours and hours about dairying, interspersed with pointless anecdotes of the man who had lived there before us. I found them very tame. After graphic descriptions of life on big stations outback, and the dashing snake-yarns told by our kitchen-folk at Brugabrong, and the anecdotes of African hunting, travel, and society life which had often formed our guest's subject of conversation, this endless fiddle-faddle of the price of farm produce and the state of crops was very fatuous. Those men, like every one else, only talked shop. I say nothing in condemnation of it, but merely point out that it did not then interest us, as we were not living in that shop just then. Mrs. Melvin must have found favor in the eyes of the specimens of the lords of creation resident at Possum Gully, as all the matrons of the community hastened to call on her, and vied with each other in a display of friendliness and good nature. They brought presents of poultry, jam, butter, and such like. They came at two o'clock and stayed till dark. They inventoried the furniture, gave mother cookery recipes, described minutely the unsurpassable talents of each of their children, and descanted volubly upon the best way of setting turkey hens. On taking their departure they cordially invited us all to return their visits, and begged mother to allow her children to spend a day with theirs. We had been resident in our new quarters nearly a month, when my parents received an intimation from the teacher of the public school, two miles distant, to the effect that the law demanded that they should send their children to school. It upset my mother greatly. What was she to do? Do! 
"'Bundle the nippers off to school as quickly as possible, of course,' said my father. My mother objected. She proposed a governess now, and a good boarding school later on. She had heard such dreadful stories of public schools. It was terrible to be compelled to send her darlings to one. They would be ruined in a week. "'Not they,' said father. "'Run them off for a week or two, or a month at the outside. They can't come to any harm in that time. After that we will get a governess. You are in no state of health to worry about one just now, and it is utterly impossible that I can see about the matter at present. I have several specks on foot that I must attend to. Send the youngsters to school down here for the present.' We went to school, and in our dainty befrilled pinafores and light shoes were regarded as great swells by the other scholars. They, for the most part, were the children of very poor farmers, whose farm earnings were augmented by road-work, wood-carting, or any such labor which came within their grasp. All the boys went barefooted, also a moiety of the girls. The school was situated on a wild, scrubby hill, and the teacher boarded with a resident a mile from it. He was a man addicted to drink, and the parents of his scholars lived in day the expectation of seeing his dismissal from the service. It is nearly ten years since the twins, who came next to me, and I were enrolled as pupils of the Tiger Swamp Public School. My education was completed there, so was that of the twins, who are eleven months younger than I. Also my other brothers and sisters are quickly getting finished words, but that is the only school any of us have seen or known. There was even a time when father spoke of filling in the free forms for our attendance there. But mother, a woman's pride bears more wear than a man's, would never allow us to come to that. All our neighbors were very friendly, but one in particular, a James Blackshaw, proved himself most desirous of being comradely with us. He was a sort of self-constituted shake of the community. It was usual for him to take all newcomers under his wing, and with officious good nature endeavor to make them feel at home. He called on us daily, tied his horse to the paling fence beneath the shade of a sally tree in the back yard, and when mother was unable to see him, he was content to yarn for an hour or two with Jane Hazlip, our servant girl. Jane disliked Possum Gully as much as I did, her feeling being much more defined. It was amusing to hear the flat-out opinions she expressed to Mr. Blackshaw, whom, by the way, she termed a mooching hen of a chap. "'I suppose, Jane, you like being here near Goulburn, better than that out-of-the-way place you came from,' he said one morning as he comfortably settled himself on an old sofa in the kitchen. "'No jolly fear. Out-of-the-way place.' "'There was more life at Bruggabrong in a day "'than you crawlers would see here all your lives,' "'she retorted with vigor, "'energetically pommeling a batch of bread "'which she was mixing. "'Why, at Brugga it was as good as a show every week. "'On Saturday evening all the coves used to come in for their mail. "'They'd stay till Sunday evening. "'Splitters, boundary riders, dog-trappers, "'every man jack of em. "'Some of us was always good for a tune on the concertina, "'and the rest would dance.' We had fun to no end. A girl could have a fly round and a lark or two there, I tell you. But here, and she emitted a snort of contempt, there ain't one bloomin' feller to do a mash with. I'm full of the place. Only I promised to stick to the missus a while. I'd scoot to morrow. It's the dead and the livest hole I ever seen. You'll get used to it by and by, said Blackshaw. 
used to it. A person would have to be brought up under a hen to get used to the dullness of this hole. You wasn't brought up under a hen, or it must have been a big bramer pooter if you were, replied he, noting the liberal proportions of her figure as she hauled a couple of heavy pots off the fire. He did not offer to help her. Etiquette of that sort was beyond his ken. You oughter go out more, and then you wouldn't find it so dull, he said, after she had placed the pots on the floor. Go out? Where'd I go to, pray? Drop in and see my missus again when you get time. You're always welcome. Thanks, but I had plenty of going to see your missus last time. How's that? Why, I wasn't there half an hour when she had to strip off her clean duds and go and milk. I don't think much of any of the men around here. They let the women work too hard. I never see such a tired wore-out set of women. It puts me in mind of the time when the blackfellers made the gins do all the work. Why, on Brugabrong the women never had to do no outside work, only on a great pinch when all the men were away at a fire or a muster. Down here they do everything. They do all the milkin' and pig-feedin' and potty-rarin'. It makes me feel fit to wretch. I don't know whether it's because the men is crawlers or whether it's dairyin'. I don't think much of dairyin'. It's slavin' and delvin' and scrapin' your eyeballs out from mornin' to night, and nothing to show for your pains. And now you'll oblige me, Mr. Blackshaw, if you'll lollop somewhere else for a minute or two. I want to sweep under that sofa. This had the effect of making him depart. He said good morning and went off, not sure whether he was most amused or insulted. End of chapter 3 Recording by Leanne Howlett